Welcome to Happy Millionaire, a show about how to make profit with a positive impact and stay happy along the way. I stepped down as CEO two and a half years ago and I've had so many people ask me why did I do that. Hold on, which, which company? This was Yieldify. Okay. So I was CEO of Yieldify for seven years. It was literally my dream job and from the outside it looks like running a tech startup is incredible and why the fuck would you leave that job? There's a lot of things people probably don't appreciate that happens in a startup. Unless you run a company, you probably know these intricacies and I'm willing to be like super open about it and just tell you guys really the good and the crap that goes on in Sweet. a startup. So I was running Yieldify for seven years. I was the co-founder with my brother and I was CEO. It was literally the dream job I wanted, right? I had offices around the world in like London, New York, Sydney, Singapore. I was like traveling around the world. The team was roughly about 200 folks and we got funded by Google and SoftBank. You know, on the outside, this is like you are the ultimate tech entrepreneur, right? Mm. You're going on that incredible journey. Honestly, it's probably like year four, year five. Something didn't feel right. It was just, I was no longer enjoying it. And you have to be on 24 seven if you are a tech CEO. Literally your day starts at the moment you wake up. Yes, there's all these little trends now where, you know, put your phone to the side. But like, you know, if you really want to make the most out of every minute, like you you are on. Because you've got some guys in America have come in, they may have something urgent. Or if you've got someone in Sydney, like they're still in the office. So they only have a few hour windows. You're just on 24 seven. You know, you've got a big team. And let's just say, you know, there's 252 working days in the year, right? And let's say you got a team of 200. That means like every single day during the week, it's very likely it's someone's birthday, right? <laughs> and birthdays are really important and I appreciate birthdays, right? So if you want to give a personal touch, you need to go over there and have a little chat like, hey, what are you doing on your birthday? What's going on? And I like doing that, right? But as you start getting bigger, it starts becoming a bit ingenuine, right? Because yeah. I'm just there, I'm like, look, I got about a bazillion emails I need to go through. I got a bazillion meetings to go through. Like, hey buddy, how's your birthday? Yeah, cool, all right. At the same time, like, you know, as humans, you know, each person in our business, you know, had a personal thing going on like maybe they want a promotion mm. or maybe they've got a complaint as the business scales you can't do that and yes you've got a team around you but as a CEO as well you want to try to be there for those right moments there were just too many things I was handling right you're still trying to raise money yeah. you're still trying to launch a product you've got all these people responsibilities you got to do like I didn't really have a life like yeah. I was just working 24 7 like even when I was out with you I remember I'd check my email sometimes like oh person A we've got client issue you lost that personal touch with your employees I know you is a very personable person who loves to have a chat, loves to make sure people are happy. If you separate yourself from that element of the business, that would have been like a big issue, something that you wouldn't have liked leaving behind. If I think about it from the lens of my small company, I love the fact that I can check in with my employees and just, you know, see how they're doing. And as you scale, you lose that. So, yeah. Also, the, the level of impact you can make is much smaller. This big impact element is gone. You're just going to be making a small impact in loads of different places, but... I know I'm like one of those people that wants to see the result as well. I like to see it. And you just don't see it as much in the big company. So, you know, all of these things led me to do a big reflection. It was, I remember I was in New York, so I was living in New York for quite a while. I mean, you've been in New York and a lot of people probably have been to New York. New York is absolutely crazy. It's 100 miles per hour. It's like everything's on. You go outside, you've got the taxis, you've got people just making noise. It is just mental. And I just promised myself I'm going to keep my calendar empty on a weekend, which is actually really difficult to do because there's always a bazillion things going on. And I said, I need some me time, right? I need to just work out what the hell I'm going to do with my life because I can't, I was no longer enjoying it. I was probably quite miserable. And I could feel it. And, you know, we all know those moments. So what I did was I wrote down all the different things I do as CEO. What I figured out was 
there was a few things I really liked. So I liked doing the strategy piece. I really liked the branding elements. I liked hiring key people. Like those bits I just loved, but the day-to-day responsibilities, and yes, I could have probably hired people around me to help me, but as CEO, you still have to be quite involved in day-to-day operations. And that just wasn't that interesting for me. When I reflect back, I probably hit all my egoic dreams and I just, there was a bit of ego in me probably. And that bit just all went. What I found was there was this like sidestep move, which was the right move for me. And that was actually me becoming a board member. So that's what I did. I transitioned out from being CEO. We hired and recruited a phenomenal CEO who's now running the company mm. and I became a board member. And that way I could still do what I love. And now it's given me this whole pocket of extra time that I can then use on things that I'm really passionate about. I want to ask you actually, because in my mind, a founder of a company, the true entrepreneur who has the sort of bravery to start a company and, you know, the small scale. Is that a natural CEO? I don't know. I was going to ask you, actually, whilst you were talking, are a lot of your colleagues in a similar boat where they've started companies, but, you know, the day-to-day running, when it's got to that scale, where you've got multiple offices around the world, you know, you've got all this investment, revenue generating, you know, and then it just transitions to a different place in the company's trajectory, doesn't it? Where it's just all about operations and making sure that you're doing things strategically from a different way. Is that something that a lot of people do? They, they put in a CEO and then they do some other aspects of the business? So a few things. There's a two moves, right? The, 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 the classic move is getting a COO, right? So you bring a COO and he can take that key bit of responsibility, right? So that works, mm. right? Is that early stage? Is that yeah, quiet? yeah. So there's two steps, right? If you've got a CEO who can take it to 10 million revenue, then that's great. And that's probably like in like series B phase, that's probably like four, four years in, mm. right? Then it's a good time. Because at that point, you've probably got about 100 people and you need to put some real operations in. Otherwise, it's just not going to scale. The thing just breaks. Startups, are, they are very fragile. People think, oh, these epic companies and they've got a fancy logo. But no, no, they're, they're super, super fragile, right? And it needs this architect who can essentially put the pipes in. I've seen companies put it in too late, but you can put it in too early and you've just got too much processes. So it's important you put a good COO in. That can give that business the, the next, like for the mountain, it's that next part of the mountain. Otherwise, you might have a CEO who just, is just a crazy operator, right? And that works as well. You know, for me, it was actually me as an individual. Like, I just lost my interest. Could I have gone further? Yes, I probably could have. It just needed, the, the sidestep was the right move. Yeah, but then you went on to start a lot of other companies. So I think you're still <laughs> exercising that sort of desire to yeah, do yeah. what you like doing on a day-to-day basis. But that would have to be in a different company because Unify sort of, I, I think it's right to say it outgrew you. It got to a stage where you weren't really enjoying the elements of the CEO role. Whereas being a CEO of a smaller company, I think is probably more attractive. Yeah, I think it's, um, I'd say outgrowth probably could be a right word. I think it's just my passion and interest in startup just doesn't excite me. Yeah. Like right now, if you, even if someone offered me, hey, you can be CEO of like, Uber or Facebook or whatever, like, mate, I would never do it. No, definitely not I would never do it. I would just say, anyway, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Facebook. But yeah, like, you know, any, you know, any cool tech company, honestly, like, I just, I got no interest. Man. Yeah. I can't deal with politics, structures, all this sort of stuff. It's yeah, like, yeah. it literally, I get, it's probably like me getting punched in the face about 7,000 times. I'd rather take that. My other, my other mate, also called Jay, who you've met on the stag, he is wired differently. He's an operator, yeah. right? He is someone who can go into a company, dive into the PL, dive into like uh, the, the structure of the HR, do all that kind of stuff that honestly I find very boring, but there's some people that absolutely love it. But he knows himself he's never going to start a company. 
He's yeah, never going to start his own business himself. He knows what where he fits in terms of that that cog in the in the in the wheels of a, of a machine. I'm more on the side of starting the companies, but I realise at some point when I do get to that level, I'm not going to be the CEO of my company either. That's great, if you know. Yeah. Like I wish you know in that situation you got a few different things, right? So I've seen some CEOs go and do it again, and that's pretty cool, right? It gets a certain scale, you know, they may get it to 100, 200, even may even IPO it, and that's awesome and they go do it again they just love it they love that whole process right um you get some folks that just want to start investing so i did that for a bit but that just didn't excite me because i didn't feel like i was making an impact and then so what i've got is i've got a startup studio so my vision here is i want to create and incubate companies like one company a year maybe two but most likely it's one i don't want to go work crazy crazy hard and go nuts but you know depends it might change right but i like to incubate i'm right at the inception right and that's what i love so that's involved in all the branding, the launch, the first product, hiring the first people. Like that's the bit I get all That's the exciting about. bit, I'll be honest. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, <laughs> that's that's what, and, um, <laughs> you know, my plan is to, you know, really build the number one startup studio in the UK and very much focus on like software companies. That's why I invite will probably diversify. Yeah, that's where I want to go. And it's it's been great. Like the journey with Bliss Growth has been awesome and um you know, I've had loads of other entrepreneurs come up to me and you know ask me questions about it, and hopefully it's inspired a few other people to go down do you that ever path see, as well. Do you ever see failed entrepreneurs, um, who I'm sure you've met along the way, go back to sort of the nine to five schedule, or like, do they just go the other way and they just keep on trying, keep on like taking those hits? Yeah, I've seen quite a few. So I feel it's a good option. Like, if imagine you're now, you know, you start your journey at I don't know in your early twenties and you go and build a startup for five, seven, ten years, right? You're now in your 30s and you might have kids and you've got mm. family. Like at this moment, can you take another punt, yeah. right? Can you take a punt? And I've seen loads of my friends say, no, let's go join a big company. Let's take all my experience. Let's go in a sector which I was previously in. And this, by the way, this is a great move as well. This is an unbelievable move for someone who has had some experience in a fast growing startup. Go to a, maybe a corporate job, mm. right? It's not, there's no hum or a bigger company and bring that expertise in. And trust me, you get a shit ton of money yeah, for that experience. Yeah. So like you can cash in on yeah. your experience. And I've seen guys get good equity in, let's say you go for a late stage company, you might become like a general manager. Because actually when you have a startup and you're even managing three, five, 10 people, the skills you build, you're like, you know, you're a CEO. So being a general manager or like launching a product for a big company, like they love that sort of skill set. It's a great sidestep to yeah. use the same concept again. That's why I do think if you go down the startup path, things just happen. Like, don't get me wrong, it is really risky as well. But I do think people sometimes underestimate the moves you can do if you do fail as well. I reckon it comes down to your motivations as well, right? A lot of people are motivated by money and consistency. And if they are being motivated by that, then, you know, actually going to a corporate job is probably much better. And the other thing I think is I've, I've been reading this book called Wanting. It's an amazing book. We're going to have to read it and we're going to discuss it in the podcast because it's all about the theory of mimetic behavior, or the, uh, the mimetic theory. There was a philosopher called uh, René Girard and he talks about this in, uh, I think it was 1950s. He was uh, a lecturer at Indianapolis and then he went uh, on to some other places. But basically um, his theory is that we're all mimetic beings where we like to see other people and try to emulate what their behavior is if they are seen to be successful or socially desirable. Right now, being an entrepreneur, being a Mark Zuckerberg, or maybe like 2018 Mark Zuckerberg or whatever, is seen as like, you know, the goal. That's like, oh, you want to be that kind of person, raising money, fast growing companies, all that kind of stuff. We're selling a, a dream 
not reality because the reality is it's freaking hard to break through we have to discuss this on the podcast i think because this also applies to happiness or a perception of what happiness entails i'm hoping with this podcast as well we can really shine a light on what it's like to be an entrepreneur Mm. try share our personal stories i think when we bring on our guests i want to go deep on all the shitty parts um and also the good parts like I would never, ever change my decision. I think, yeah, providing some context to folks would be a bit of a game changer. So, One of my mates who's um, CEO of a company called Excel, their D2C coffee brand, I don't know if I've discussed them before on the podcast, but um, you know, I should declare I'm a, an advisor and I've got shares in the company. But um, we were having a conversation because I see him as like basically creating the next Red Bull. It's basically a healthy coffee brand. So they roast their coffee such that the polyphenols in the coffee are heightened. And coffee is a very healthy substance, you know, taken in moderation. It's got like a, an amazing array of like thousands of different polyphenols. And they know about that and they've roasted it to basically maximize the, maximize the health benefits. And he's getting himself sort of intertwined in like wild swimming, outdoor lifestyle. He lives and breathes outdoor lifestyle. The reason why I think about it is because he was in a accountant for many years prior to this and had this sort of entrepreneurial urge and left the corporate wheel to like you know to go and pursue his dreams um, and we were chatting the other day he's i think he's got like 15 to 20 employees hasn't taken on that much investment growing the company is, is you know getting to like good scale at the moment and he already knows that he doesn't want to be ceo of the company long term when it gets to that you know level of red bull i see like excel being the next red bull it'd be pretty amazing to watch his territory because it's pretty fast growth but i think it's good to have sort of like that, that mindset if you are interested in entrepreneurship, if you are interested in, in starting a company, knowing what your strengths are based on what your desires. And I think that branding and all that kind of stuff, that's really fun. And if you can get through that stage, that's awesome. But when it gets to the point where you're dealing with all the sort of the corporate office woes, that's yeah. that's CEO level. That's different. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you say. So I'm curious, like I want to try stuff. I want to see what happens to me when I have this stuff. So um yeah. Bring me a batch. Bring me a batch. We'll get him on the pod. He's awesome. He's good. All right. So what have you got, Roops? Far away, what have you got? All have I got? Well, I wanted to talk about this podcast, actually, to start off with. At this point, we haven't pushed anything live, right? Mm. So we don't really know what our audience is. Well, we banked a couple and, you know, we're putting it out there. But, you know, we we, we made the strategic decision to... It's like batch cooking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done a massive fucking batch. We've done a massive batch cooking. It could be a really shit set of cookies or whatever it is. Exactly. You're going to eat this for the rest of the week now, a couple of months. So anyway, we batch cooked it and um, we don't actually know what our audience is. It's kind of like starting an app with no insights, no feedback, no metrics whatsoever. So I'm kind of curious as to how we're actually going to garner that feedback in the first instance. But I'm curious as to where else we're going to find these sort of metrics to guide our kind of conversations mm. other than our own musings week by week. Because I have random musings and this is a very good <laughs> outlet for it. Because on the on my t- uh, entrepreneurial journey, I'm just like, you know, what do I want to talk What Am I actually being happy? Am I actually like enjoying and, and being fulfilled or should I go back to medicine you know there's a thought that I have like it's like a little therapy session for yeah, ourselves exactly. yeah I've done it's a really good point well I guess looking back at your doctor's kitchen right you were really one of the first people to start putting out content around like food as medicine yeah. right so how did you take that information and help I started my podcast in to the end of 2017 yeah, yeah so at that point I had like two and a half years of 
chatting to people via social media, via YouTube, reading comments, reading DMs, all that kind of stuff. Plus on the back of that, seven or eight years clinical experience at that point in the clinic, chatting to people, figuring out what their woes were, figuring out what their behavior uh, insights were. You know, how, how am I going to motivate this person to eat well, eat better? You know, what are the strategies that I can sort of utilize in the clinic to give them? And I basically reflected that in the podcast because I kind of already knew like, well, what people were struggling with. And so when I started, it was like off the bat, it was like already, okay, yeah, pe people vibe with it because I kind of already had that understanding. Whereas this, this is this is kind of different. This is, I mean, it's new for you as well, right? I've made this totally new. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, like I think after you've, we've been chatting for a few years, we're like, dude, let's do something together. And yeah. this, this is it. Yeah. Um, like this whole concept of us to doing a podcast really started when you, me and Amit hung out, right? We always hang out, do like, and we talk such random shit and like Amit sometimes goes, dude, do you know what? That is really good. Like we should talk about, like someone else should probably <laughs> listen to it. great content. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like, I don't know. I see this as just a couple of mates talking about random shit and hopefully it's valuable, right? And there's some lessons and they have a bit of banter along the way. You know what? If they get a few good few takeaways, like that's sick. Like that, then I think we've done our bit. I just ask people, hey, what well, like, you know a little bit about me. Well, what do you? Well, what bits do you? Are you quite intrigued to hear more about? So that's where I've been getting my topic so far. I'd be interested. I'd be. I'd be really interested in the critical comments. So I think the critical comments are the ones that you actually want to read and actually ask yourself the question: Is this? genuinely something that is an issue that I probably know deep down mm. or is it someone venting you know th there's a fine line between those two and I actually found out quite a bit through my own podcast so you know halfway through my pod I started doing like a Saturday kitchen style like where I'd cook for the guests and you know I'd find out what they like and I'd healthify it and it was great for video terrible for the podcast because all you heard was just chopping in the background and so I had all these comments I was like yeah yeah great podcast great content but all I can hear is chopping he's got to stop doing this and so we can that at the end of it so you know there's going to be some feedback I reckon like some annoying things that we've probably already done because we've batch cooked this I'd be interested in how you how you deal with that criticism do you know what in Yodify I've received as CEO there's so much crap you get in so many different places so you get like glass door reviews I remember I was on the newspaper a few times for like good and bad stuff oh really yeah yeah I got like what was the bad we had, stuff? This, we had this um come in the US that basically was trying to sue us. You know, I was on the front page of the FT. Oh, wow. So I've had like loads of like people going after me in weird ways. So yeah, I don't know. Like I think I'll be okay, but let's see. What's that like? Are there people that have gone after you in the past that you now know and like are like sort of Yeah. I, I guarantee anyone who runs a business has been sued multiple times. Really? Like, yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, I've spoken to loads of my friends. Mo like, there'll be a lawsuit or there'll be some things happening, like 100%. You know, in those situations, it's just, it's a bit like forgiveness, right? Like, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong to some degree. It's just at the end of the day, like, you just want it to be buried and gone, right? Those guys, every single person I've had an issue with, we're actually friends now. So, really? Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Like, oh it's my one, God, that's so weird. I, it's a weird thing, like, it's, I've spoken to so many people who've had lawsuits, they're now friends with the people that, they had the lawsuit well with. is it just like the nature of competition it's just business yeah it could be like it could be anything from even a client complaint to a competitor so in the US for example like people get sued every bloody time like it's, really? it's, it's it's really regular so if you are like I'm a UK entrepreneur I go to the US it's very common for a US company to sue you right it's a very litigious country right you know that's why lawyers make a shit ton of money over there it's all you know it's all yeah. fun and games everyone's at least someone's making some money but yeah it does <laughs> it does like yeah it's just a game like people don't realize but i guarantee if you're running a company with over let's say 100 people plus like i'll be shocked if you've not had a lawsuit within the five-year window how did you deal with that the first time because school isn't teaching this stuff university isn't yeah, teaching yeah. you how to deal with this 
Yeah. And you were young. I'm assuming you were like probably yeah, yeah. in your twenties. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, when I got on the basically front page of FT, because basically Google invested in my company, so went Google back company gets sued. So that's what happened. Do you know what? Like, I just laughed. What? Yeah, I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was quite funny. It's like, you know, I was okay, so I'd already been on the newspapers in different places, right? But this was for another good, t- good thing. Yeah, for good things, oh, right? right? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, we raised money, so I was in all those um, places you like, oh, you know, like Bruno Mars goes, oh, I'm going to be on Forbes and stuff. So I did all that, like, weird stuff, which was nice, right? And this time I was like, oh, shit, man, I'm on some, I'm on it for some, like, really crappy stuff, right? I know, I just laughed. I just thought it was funny. I don't know why. Yeah, I just laughed. Because I just... You've Is it because you I, knew the claims were unfounded? That yeah, it was, it was that. Oh, okay. It was that. But at the same time, I just... I believe life is just... I've always think it's just a fun little game. Like, I don't know. I just sometimes... Whenever things get quite serious, I just laugh. Because I know at the end of the day, it'll, it'll all sort itself out anyway. So at the end, I just like... That's quite common, the FT for stupid shit. So <laughs> it was actually quite... So Mills, my, so Mills, my brother and me, like, we were just like... Ah, I feel like we're like the gangsters, like bad boys in our start. <laughs> so it's like literally like that. So my, I remember my... Um, <laughs> So my, my brother was actually dating at the time when it came out, and he actually he's actually he's actually quite funny. But he used to show girls and like dates. He's like, oh yeah, look, that's me. And like they they used to think he's like a proper bad boy, like gangster. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So my brother was like milking it for some reason. He's now got an amazing girlfriend. Um, so yeah, shout she's out to Mitzi. lovely. Yeah, and um, but yeah, it was just I don't know. Like life is just if you take it too seriously, like it will just get more serious. So I, weirdly, I've got this skill in me where if it gets really really weird i just i just take the whole piss out of the situation mate that not. is a life hack. i know we're having jokes about that but i'm t- i'm telling you that is a really good life hack for happiness right there just the sort of knowledge that a things are going to work out and b there's sort of a guiding principle is that you've just got to take everything as part of like the game of life mm. and if you take it too serious it's basically your perception so your perception was like i can either think of this as like oh my god they're going to take down my company it's going to be this is going to wreck my personal career i might not, never be able to raise again because they're going to see me as it's like, you know, red flag or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or, oh, isn't that funny? I'll, I'll, That's funny, mate. I'll, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll, I'll, really I'll use it for my date. Mate, what was even funnier? What was even, yeah, exactly. My brother my brother got the upside on it, right? Um, what I found really funny was, um, I think it was like the next day or something, like I get a bunch of my mates like sending me the link. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Right? <laughs> yeah. So like at the front page of FT is like, nah, nah, mate, I ain't seen it, mate. I ain't seen it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like I'm having a normal day. So what happens in like, and I'm sure you've gone through this, right? Something really shit happens in the day, right? Yeah. If you can suck it in and you can make it till you go to bed, you wake up the next morning, you're okay. Like it's just always better the next morning. Yeah. It's, it's the best hack. Like if, if you've had a really shit day at work or whatever, just just get to bed, man. Mm. <laughs> just get, just, just t- go to the gym just like clean up like there's times where it's like four o'clock I've had such a really crap something's really crap happen I sometimes just go home so and then I wake up the next morning and I'm much better I see while you're talking about the the newspaper stuff I haven't been front page of any FT or anything like that I've been yeah, front page don't worry of, mate it's not that great no I've been, I've been front page of like the, there was the Daily Mail and there was also the Times but for good reasons yeah yeah but the Daily Mail they sort of took a lot of my second book out of context so the, the second book is called Eat to Be Honest right it's a play on words it's like tongue in cheek like you know you're not it's not genuinely about eating a bit honest if you read the first lines or you read the the first chapter or even you know the the final uh, intro chapter it's very very clear that what i'm talking about is food as medicine medicine being a treatment or a preventable substance or intervention or reduce the risk of certain number of diseases that are the main conditions that cost the most for healthcare systems around the world anyway the daily mail obviously have daily mailified it eat this and then you'll you'll never have cancer or like eat this and whatever whatever so there's all that kind of stuff going on and that sort of garnered 
a lot of ill will towards me and the brand. And I remember my reaction to that was the complete opposite of you. I thought the world was sort of like caving in on me. And I went through this experience and it took like quite a few months, I think, for me to get back on it. I was always like looking over my shoulder as to like who's going to try and come after me now or who's going to like try and go after my GMC or like, you know, my professional license, right? Yeah, yeah my license. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So all that that was that was pretty hard time actually, I would say. But if I took your sort of strategy of like everything will work out and life is just a, a bit of a game and you know this is just part of the game that's a little bit weird it's a little bit dark but you know you're, you're going to come out of it I would have fared that a lot better I had to learn that the hard way I, I wasn't like the next day like laughing at the, the headlines or laughing at the comments or whatever but there was an article this is genuinely funny there was an article it was a hit piece about doctors in general who do branded posts now I do branded posts on, on my social media and they were particularly going after doctors who promote uh, like meat and dairy or like you know beauty products the vegans or, were after you or the, yeah, not the vegans. No, it was it was after like all those kind of doctors, right? The, the main doctors who who were labelled. I don't really know them anymore. But there was a line about me because whoever had written this this article was trying to just drum up as many people and many high profile doctors on social media as possible. There was one line about me. Doctor Rupi Audra has also taken money for sponsored posts and branded content. He has been associated with. Tender stem broccoli and walnuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know walnuts, yeah. and broccoli. Yeah, sick. I know. Broccoli and walnuts. And I was like, I felt like taking that picture and putting it as my profile. <laughs> I'm like, I'm proud of that. That's, That's so great. funny. Yeah, by the way, how does that work? So is there like a society like head of like broccoli and walnut and they like they yeah, all sit yeah, in a room yeah. and go, who should we who should who should we give this budget to? No joke. There are there's a community of growers association. So the uh, association of almond growers. Is it he or she Almond's must be a huge, gangster. Huge. No no that guy who is it is it a girl or no, no, a dude so, who runs so, it? It's a whole like a committee. It's so like they a just network. sit in a room and talk no, about No no they've got like four hundred growers. It's like a consortium. Oh, okay, so it's yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. OPEC but for, okay. for almonds. Oh, sick. <laughs> and they have them for different uh, ingredients. They've got them for walnuts, they've got them for mushrooms, they've got them for different types mushrooms of broccoli. Killing it right now. Mushrooms killing it, <laughs> killing it. I actually did some stuff with mushrooms yeah. saying that last yeah. year. So they, they, the UK and Ireland uh, Growers Association, so all the mushroom growers, they all get together and they basically like, pay essentially for like a branding organisation to help them like distribute more positive content around mushrooms. And obviously, like mm. they're coming to me, they're coming to your mm. boy here yeah. because I'm all about the mushroom train yeah, I'm like I'm talking about ergothionine I'm talking about the prebiotic nature of it I'm like <laughs> it's so versatile shit. it's going to help you you know like reduce your meat content all that kind of stuff so they came to me and I, I'm really happy to promote these brands it's like a win-win for me <laughs> I'm just trying to think what that guy puts on his LinkedIn like head of mushrooms society committee <laughs> it's like, yeah. imagine bowling in for jobs going man like fuck man I run the mushroom committee it's it's so crazy in there <laughs> you big him up I don't know who he they, is, they've but, got like yeah. a lot of budget as well because if you think about it I mean almonds is a a perfect example so almond there's a the california growers just not almonds global just the california growers association i think it's 400 different growers around the california region and they all chip in a bit of money yeah. towards this thing dude i yeah, would imagine their be, christmas parties mate it's yeah, gonna be yeah. crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you get an invite get shots, in. yeah yeah, yeah, mate, yeah. Mate, yeah. <laughs> i want to no, go to their christmas party mate. dude in in 2016 i think it was 2017 they flew me out to california expenses oh, paid they took me took us to your uh, Yosemite, is it Yosemite? Yeah, yeah, that Yosemite National Park. Yosemite, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So we went to the National Park. Everything was like comp. We had almond on everything. Almond on the desserts, almond on the breakfast. I mean, I was a bit almond out afterwards, but it was delicious, really good. Nah, good on you, man, yeah. good on you. So 
we need a wildcard topic, right? Um, so in this pod, you probably hopefully there's a bit of format where I think the whole thing is wildcard. Yeah, it's all today. winged, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think a lot of people might want to write a book, but I was doing a bit of research around it, right? I've had a few people approach me, just a very low level, like, "Hey, do you want to write a book on entrepreneurship?" I was like, "Yeah, it's not. I'm, I'm, I'm not in that zone right now, right?" But I was like, "Do these guys make money?" Right, mm. and what I found out was that basically, if you're writing a book, and you, look, you're a perfect guy to ask. You've got multiple bestsellers, right? But you know, I've realised none of these guys make that much money, and they make money in other areas. Mm. And it may be a good, good thing to probably like tell some of the listeners like about the process. I know you get some money, but like, like, is it much money? Because I hear only like a few people have made money. Yeah, um, there's there's not much money at all. I think that when people think about publishers, they think about the biggest sellers of our time the jk rowlings the matt haigs the uh david walliams like all these people who have like absolutely smashed it and sold millions and millions of books they are the rarity the first thing about publishing is that it's a very old school industry so it still operates on a very much like who you know and a lot of publishing is consolidated now so you have these big imprints like hop collins penguin uh, all these different traditional media houses and they have imprints within them so i think harper collins is something like 40 or 50 different imprints and they're all different genres you've got fiction non-fiction so and imprints like a, a it's almost like a mini publishers oh, wow. within the big publishers so if you look at like the tree the umbrella of all these different publishers they've got all these mini ones underneath oh. and they each have their own niches so when i got picked up by harper in the first instance i was signed to Thornsons, which is a not the chocolate company. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no Thornsons, which is like the health and wellness arm within HarperCollins. And I, I was one of the lucky ones. I got quite a sizable advance of 75k to do one book. Yeah. So that's one book deal, 75k. And that's like money in my pocket, regardless if I sell zero books or one book. Yeah. So right? actually on that, right? Yeah. So you get 75k. Is there like a deadline? Because Yeah. I can imagine like some people getting this cash and going sick, right? And just like chilling, right? <laughs> yeah. So like, is there a deadline? If you don't do it, you have to pay it back? Like they they can- Yeah, yeah. There's okay. loads of clauses. It's like a proper, like, you proper know, contract. 20, 30 page contract. So what's your deadline then? So my deadline so was- like a year, two years? It was within a year- Oh, wow. Okay. That I had to deliver. And then it's in stages. So every contract is very different. So you can have a, a publishing contract that's like everything paid on, on day one. Yeah. Uh, usually that's reserved for celebrities, I reckon. But usually everything is fake. Out, like and how much three. are they helping you? So, you know, you've paid because like, and this is something else I want to talk about. It's like self-publishing versus publishing, right? But like, okay, so you've got this big ass team helping you, right? Like how much do they actually help you? So if you ask different authors, you'll get completely different answers. I was, I was lucky. I had a lot of help in terms of PR, marketing, um, the copy and, and the recipe development, that was all me. But they sorted out all the photography. They sorted out the the best sort of um, uh, prop stylists, all the locations where we did all the images. They made it. They made it look amazing, man. Yeah. Have you seen you seen my first book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. awesome. No, I, I mean, all, all, that all the, <laughs> but you, you don't understand. Like wh when you go into a cookbook shoot, I'm the least important person there. Everything is like a well-oiled machine. You have all these, there's literally like eight, nine people and it's usually in a very small studio as well. So it's very cramped. Is the studio actually within their like publishing house then? No, 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 it's all external. They rent somewhere, oh all wow, external. so they come to places like this or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay, they'll, they'll come to specific locations and I'm literally the least important okay, person Okay, interesting. There. All right, so crunching the numbers, they're paying you 75 grand, right? Because yeah. this is another interesting thing on my research was that you need to sell a, 
a shit ton of books before you start making anything extra, right? So that royalty structure really, again, depends on what your contract oh, okay. is saying. So for my first book, I had to sell 80,000 copies before I got any extra money on wow. the base of that, right? Okay. So that's quite a high amount. And how much would you get extra for the book? Uh, so that, again, that depends. So sometimes it's 10% of the sales, sometimes it's 15, sometimes it's 20. It really depends on what your threshold for books is. Mm. Luckily, I, I went through that and awesome. I, I, I get yeah. a royalty cut now, but it was very, very high high, mm. like very high bar to sell. For an unknown author to have a threshold of 80,000 copies, pretty high bar. Mm. And it and it fluctuates for, from person to person. And then so, self-publishing is becoming a lot more popular now. Yeah. But, but it's very it's a very different game. So I know people like um, David Goggins, Gary Vee even, yeah. um, and a few other people have gone down the self-publishing route. But you really need to have a core audience that you've grown for years prior to that because you want a willing audience, like whether it's a big newsletter, whether it's a big social following, Whatever it is, you need to have to you, you need to have had that community before. No, interesting. So I found it fascinating. Yeah, the actual money you make is not so much considering you're spending like a year or two years writing. Right? It's like, and if you want to write a great book, I less know these cut folks, as well. Don't forget, yeah, less cut, right? To your and you're literary agent. and you're working like full time. Like you know, writing a book, you need to be on it. Like yeah. you need to be proper on it. Like proper zoned in. So you can't really do much other stuff. Yes, you can, but it's just. You need that zone time, right? Dude, like, I was working full-time as a GP. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I was working full-time okay, as a GP. Me. I was doing all my socials. Uh, I was still blogging. Um, okay, you're just a beast, mate. And then, and then I uh, ended up doing my, <laughs> then yeah, I ended up doing my podcast. It was, it was a very unhealthy sort of like, you know, grind lifestyle where I'd come back. I did some videos. I would literally come back. I was videoing myself on a GoPro. Mm. I was in my suit and, and tied. I'd just literally come back from work. And I was like... And now I'm going to recipe test. <laughs> yeah, I know. And my mate, first book had like 400 references in the back. So it wasn't just like knock out a few, like 100 recipes, even though, you know, cookbook writers, they put so much effort and so much research into the, each of the recipes. It was me doing 100 uh, recipe cookbook and 40,000 words on the front end. I think mate, the original nuts. was 80,000, but it's 40,000 words that I had to cut down to all reference, mate, all academic papers, everything. Mate. It was... It was that's healthy. Yeah, like you're giving me anxiety. Um, all right, so I think we're coming to that time when our really good friend, Amit, will be joining us. Producer Amit. So it'd be great to get him to join us in the studio. Um, if you haven't already, please um, give us a follow on, on your podcast player to be notified when the next episode drops. Amit, I'm nervous. Okay. Oh, this is the this first time we're... Yeah, yeah, we're, we're in person now. The first time we're getting live <laughs> so feedback. It's, it's three, the three, the three the mates studio. are together. Everyone was wondering what this third mic was for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all the way mystery for. guess was. I, I was thinking of giving uh, Jay some feedback. Are we still doing that Ooh. bit? Yeah, we're we doing feedback. Right. Yeah, yeah, make, okay. make, help pull, me pull out. your um, mic, uh, mic right, closer cheers, to your thing. So it's quite interesting. So... Like in terms of rating Jay, like uh, I'm gonna go back to uni because like <laughs> when we were 18, oh, I remember no. like meeting this guy and he was like, "Rate me," and I was like, "What?" what? Yeah, 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 right, yeah, you said I remember oh, it clearly, so and I was Sorry. just like, "I can't believe about uni stuff." Like me, I know you're my uni mate, right? But like the past, of the past, mate. Like I was, we're all weird. Why is all, why is all my weird shit coming out? Now? <laughs> <laughs> and um, like credit to you actually because I think like one of the topics we're talking about is we're talking about feedback and then it transitioned into criticism. You're you're actually very good at taking feedback and then uh, building on it. But yeah, to have that mentality at eighteen, that that's not that's right, amazing. So you're my four yet? I'm waiting for my number. Is Your number? Three, uh, no, I'm, I'm actually. 
I don't, I don't think it was you. It was basically rich, but I think you're nine point five. Well, you, no, yeah, no, 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 you started, you started off slow. You started off slow. Overselling me now. Mate, I'm uh, so much more impressed now from hearing that story from university because I thought that was a learned behaviour, maybe from being in the tech world yeah. and being surrounded by those people. But if you're asking people to rate you, I know we were laughing at the start, but like if you're asking people to rate you at that early age and actually iterating based on that feedback, which is basically what we tell tech startups to do all day long, you were already looking for those performance indicators to sort of better yourself. Whatever that might be. So that's, uh, I'm really impressed, man. When we first met our producers in person, Fascinate Productions, uh, Hussein was there. This is a guy most dedicated to self-improvement. And like, it's one thing to solicit feedback, but then like you, you can't be too precious about it. You have to just take it on the chin uh, and build on it. So I think that's like a, a super a skill. He's the one that led Delivery Babylon. He's like a good mate of mine. And um, he, he lays into me and I yeah. like it. I was like, come at me, bro. And he does. Oh, we have to get him on the podcast. Oh, he's, yeah, a good, yeah. he's, a, he's a good crack. Definitely. Yeah, so and I'm gonna I'm gonna back Amit on the uh, the high rating as well. I mean, maybe not as high as nine point five, but like, I would say solid nine. Solid oh, really? nine. Wow. The improvement. Maybe it's it, the it's been thing. ridiculous. I think yeah. definitely the in person thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we can't do them via Squadcast Rivers. Sorry, man. Yeah. Riverside. If anyone's. Yeah, they're getting it. They're getting killed. The guy who runs this um, studio is actually sitting there. He's loving it. Yeah, I can see he's smiling. Vodcast Vod, Vod, will put a promo code in the, the show notes. <laughs> you might give us some free time, right? Mate, I'll, I'll, I'll hype up your place. <laughs> I want to see uh, your uh, negotiation skills in practice. Oh. <laughs> Another topic was leaving as CEO. And um, finally, when you guys were talking about it, I was thinking about like mimetic theory at the same time as well. So like on one hand, you've got like chasing prestige and this is what everyone is doing. And then on the other side is knowing yourself and knowing what really makes you happy and what like brings joy to your, your life. I do think entrepreneurship and being a founder is the most glamorous thing you can do right now. It's probably what finance was in like the 1980s mm. and the, the 2000s. Like, I'm Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like everyone, everyone wants to be, be this guy. Uh, you wonder why, like, you wonder why yeah, we try yeah. to rinse you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I'm, I'm putting it out to yeah. You're getting a big head now, man. No, no, I'm not. Guys, man, Ame, I love your summaries, man. Oh, thanks, I'm telling man. you, <laughs> appreciate it, appreciate it, and um, thanks, Fascinate Productions. I know we've got Rich here, so I want to thank him as well. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, all right. Good, good, good. I think this was a good one. Yeah, and it's nice to do person. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to do another episode here as well very soon. So, uh, uh, if, if they can bring down the prices. Is <laughs> 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 okay, this is jokes. Um, all right, awesome. <laughs> <laughs>